Gentlemen, have you passed out the outlines? You're, they're all out. Great. Glad for that. Thank you for that help. How much does it take, and I want you to phrase the question properly, not how much does it take for you to openly persist in faith, not how much does it take for you to be public in your announcement of the gospel of Christ, but rather the questions are, how much does it take to put you off from following Christ? How much does it take to silence our witness for Christ? I've often heard, even from my own lips, the various excuses as to why I don't persist in faith in Christ or why I am not bold in witness for Christ. I I ran across these excuses. These are insurance claims, at least the first one is. One said, I am I'm not going to pay my hospital bill as they took me against my will. They came and put me in an ambulance and I was unconscious. Now, that is ludicrous, isn't it, to think that, well, you won't pay your bill because you were unconscious when you were taken to the hospital. Or here's another one that explained why he had a car pedestrian accident. It wasn't me. A pedestrian came out from nowhere, hit my car, and went under it. And we would likewise say, no, we don't really believe that. What excuses do we offer as to why we don't persist in faith in Christ? Or what does it take to silence our announcement of the gospel of Christ? The text I think today, and I'm going to look at the whole, at least most of the chapter, Acts chapter 4 today, that God's children and God's church is unswayed from faith and announcement of the gospel of Christ. God's children and God's church is unswayed from faith and announcement of the gospel of Christ. So first look with me, and Gabriel has already read the early part of this text. Look with me at preachers uh, preach to the Jews. And you'll notice that in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, they speak to the people. And you'll notice the people to whom they are speaking. It is the, it, it is the leaders of the people of Israel. It's the captain of the temple. The Sadducees came upon them. Here are these people. You notice verses 1 and 2, the immediate opposition that is noted in our text. They came upon them. These Jewish leaders were greatly disturbed. They laid hands on them. They literally took them in their hands. And it says, according to our text, that they were put into custody overnight. How many of you, I'm sure many today, if you've had any opportunity to share Christ, that there's been some level of mockery in response, some, some level of, well, that's really nice for you, but, but to be honest with you, it's pretty foolish. Here are, uh, here's Peter, particularly on this day, Peter and John, uh, uh, please remember from two weeks ago, that they are the ones that have been the instruments of God to bring divine healing uh, to, the, to this uh, uh, person back in Acts chapter 3. And so we, uh, we find here, however, that in response to their preaching, they're not mocked, they're not merely rejected. They literally have hands placed upon them and they are placed in prison. I, I, when I examine my own life, how 
how quickly such little things intimidate me from faith and announcement of the gospel of Christ. In this text, you will find that there is nothing that can stop Peter and John. And I think the idea is further, there's nothing that must keep me as a follower of Christ, us as a church, from persisting in faith in Christ and announcement of the gospel of Christ. God, you'll see, was doing a mighty work. Verse 4 says that there were 5,000 men that came to Christ. Have you looked at the culture around us here in recent days? Is the, the old hymn says, is this vile world a friend to grace to help us on to God? Uh, is our culture encouraging the church of Christ? Is the culture, uh, even where you work, many times it, it just runs against everything that we love and stand for. And here, however, the word of God has its intended effect, which is the preaching of the cross brings the salvation of sinners. 5,000, it says. 5,000 men come to Christ. I, I'm reminded in Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, you may want to look at that as I even quote a little section of that. Second Timothy 2, 8 and 9 speaks of Paul living in chains. And at that point, he is preaching what we call a prison epistle. He is writing that epistle from prison. But he says a little phrase there, but the word of God is not bound. We believe, don't we, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Romans 10, 17, you'll remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? by the word of God. I, I, I need to remind myself, and I remind you, folks, God converts sinners, even skeptical, mocking, resisting sinners, by the announcement of the message of the gospel of Christ. The word of God is not bound even by the opposition of human beings. Now let's look at a larger section. Preachers first preach, but then secondly, preaching is prohibited. You'll find the little phrase there, and we'll eventually arrive there, where they command Peter and John, do not speak in the name of Jesus. But let's look at several parts of this. First, Peter and John in verses 5 through 7 are interrogated. It comes to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and as many as were of the family were gathered together at Jerusalem, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? They quite literally are interrogated. Peter replies, and you'll notice the, the way he is described. He is full of the Spirit. He is uh, led. He is enabled he is given power by the presence of God himself, being full of the Holy Spirit. Here's what uh, uh, Peter answers, and he really disarms his skeptics. He said, first of all, we are being judged for a good deed, uh, it done to a man without strength. Uh, who can uh, interrogate us, or who can 
say it is negative when we have brought healing to this man. Uh, They are being judged for a good deed. He said, further, he makes it really clear. Let it be known to you that this was done by the name of Jesus Christ. And though it, it may be only that we pause momentarily, I would remind myself, I would remind you that any good, any transforming work that God has done in our life or through us in the lives of others is only by the name and the power of Jesus Christ. It's the only way that God can really do anything of eternal effect, and that is by the name, by the power of Jesus Christ. He said, further, by this man, he, uh, by him, that is by Christ, this man stands before you whole, healthy, of sound mind. If you're right nearby, you can look at Acts 3.16, and his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. But he does not miss the opportunity. Thirdly, he notes that Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, yet he is the chief cornerstone. He is the the one upon whom, quite literally, you understand the idea of a cornerstone being the foundational, pivotal uh, place upon which a whole building would be would be built. I, I would, I would just remind myself, what is the pivot point? What what is the foundation of my life with God if it is not the Lord Jesus Christ? He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation. He is the rock upon whom we build our lives. And so Peter is helping us understand that Christ is this chief cornerstone. He is the one rejected. Remember the Jews looked at Christ, God in flesh, and they considered him valueless, rejected. But now he is the chief cornerstone, and Peter later in his first epistle calls him elect and precious. And then that great verse, perhaps you've memorized it. Uh, pardon my old King James coming out because I've memorized Acts 4.12 in the old King James. But it says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven among men by which we may be saved. Now the name is not noted because he really is referring to that earlier. It is the, the name of Jesus Christ. People you see today in a, a pluralistic, relativistic, multi-faith society find that claim to be exclusive and they reject that claim. Alternatives have been proposed, thinking that, well, uh, perhaps God, though he is just, that if there are sincere people in their practice of whatever religion they uh, claim, uh, that God will look upon the sincerity of their heart and accept them. And I would only remind you, remember Paul in that Romans 9 and 10, where he speaks about his kinsmen according to the flesh, the the uh, Israelites, the Jews. He said they have a zeal for God. They, they really feel strongly about their practice of religion, but it is not according to knowledge. I think we do need to simply understand not only 
in order that we might communicate it faithfully, but that we might persist in faith and love and obedience to Christ. There is salvation in no other name except the name, the person, the work of Jesus Christ. None of any of the other religions ever can make the claim that only life is gained through their prophet. It is Jesus, remember, who very succinctly described, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was very exclusive in his announcement of the gospel message. Salvation, forgiveness of sins, reception of the Holy Spirit, entering into life both now and in eternity with God is available to everyone who will exclusively repent, express faith in Christ, express that faith in Christ even through the outward act of baptism. However, let me read you a little clip, a little clip from a former evangelical. Now, you'll understand, if I use the term evangelical, I would use that term in the sense that here are people who, at least according to their professions, would say that salvation is possible only through, by grace through faith in Christ alone. Here's one former evangelical, well-known if I told you his name. He wrote this, A staggering number of people have been taught that a select few Christians will enter forever into a peaceful, joyous place called heaven, while the rest of humanity spends forever in torment and punishment in hell with no chance for anything better. It's been clearly communicated to many that this belief is a central truth of the Christian faith And to reject it is, in essence, to reject Jesus. He writes this. This is misguided, toxic, and ultimately subverts the contagious spread of Jesus' message of love, peace, joy, and forgiveness in our world. Now that evangelical is saying... Life, eternal life, forgiveness of sins may be gained through something or someone else than Jesus Christ. I I want to state it really clearly. And perhaps today you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. The only possible hope that we have for life free from judgment that is deserved, is through and in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is exactly the message that you need to share with your co-workers. You need to do it kindly. You need to do it insistently. You need to do it faithfully. But we do need to communicate to our friends and neighbors. It is only through the work of Jesus Christ that any sinner, me, or them may be saved. The gospel is very exclusive. And you'll notice the interrogators now, letter C, are set back. They see Peter's and John's boldness. Now again, time does not permit me to do anything more than simply uh, remember, move back a, a few weeks in Peter's life. 
Peter is the one, remember, that a little servant girl came to Peter and said, aren't you a follower of this man from Galilee? Your, your dialect betrays you. <laughs> and he denies Christ. And three times he de- denies Christ. But now, in, in, the, in, the, in the image of, of seeing the resurrected Christ and now the presence of the Spirit of God in them, he is bold. He is confident in the person in the gospel of Christ. These, after all, are, as the text says, they are uneducated and untrained men. Now, I want to maybe suggest that what he's saying here is not that they were um, not smart men. Rather, that they did not go to the traditional rabbinical schools. Uh, They rather had been taught by Jesus himself. I think I'd rather go to seminary with Jesus than to go to the rabbi school. And so here is this idea, well, you haven't gone to the right schools. You haven't gone to the right places for training. They had been silenced by men, however, these Jews, by people who had been transformed by presence with Jesus. And I, again, I would just pause to remind you, what is it that transforms the hearts of sinners? Even we who have known Christ, God, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and that is by spending regular, daily time with the Lord. Now, I don't chart it on my day. I don't count it as, as work. I don't prepare sermons during that time. Some of the most important time of my day is when I get up. Now, I need a cup of coffee just to make sure that my mind is alert. But I open my Bible, and I need to spend time with Jesus in my Bible. I need to pray to God through Christ and know that God, not only through that, but certainly through time spent with God, in the Word of God and by the Spirit of God, I, as we pray, that God changes people who spend time with Him. Some have even said, now you'll have to pray for my wife about this. They say that all older couples that live together for a long time, they begin to resemble each other. Now I hope that is not true physically for my dear wife. Uh, but but you, that, that people that spend time and long periods of time together, they can, why, and sometimes this happens, sometimes a husband starts the sentence and the wife finishes the sentence. And I don't recommend that as a regular habit, by the way. But so in sympathy are we that that quite literally we have become closer and closer to each other so there is a likeness of heart and soul. How much more that is true when we spend time with Christ. And here were Peter and John. They had literally been transformed from cowardly followers into transformed announcers of the gospel of Christ. And further, with their very eyes, both Peter and John, as well as the Jews, saw the man healed standing right in front of them. And you'll find verse 14 says... What could they say? There was nothing they could say against that. 
if you will, in your daily life, begin to evidence genuine, transformed living. Uh, I'm looking for our, there's our plumber up there. You work for the plumber's union, don't you? Where is he? Right there, you do. That's right, I couldn't remember which one. So let, let's say that in, in doing some of your plumbing, you really, it, that pipe wrench just grabs and flies off and wraps your hand. Now, now the sinner's response to that is what? That flow of curse words. When we say, I, I'm not sure what we say in place, but when we say, oh, thank you, Lord, that I just, a little while ago, I have, I have a cleft thumbnail here from a uh, do-it-yourself accident where I was doing something with a handsaw that I shouldn't have been doing. I should have used a better saw. And the saw slipped and literally split my thumb down to the bone. I quick grabbed it. <laughs> and and uh, I, my daughter is a physician assistant. And so I, I said, I'm not sure what I did. Uh, would you take a look at it? I hadn't looked at it since. Uh, I should have known because uh, a little bit of shock was going through my system. I began to sweat profusely, began to get faint. And, and uh, my daughter, Elizabeth, she took one little thing off, put it back on, said, we need to get you to the uh, urgent care center. <laughs> but when that happens, what do you say? Oh, uh, thank you, Lord. I just split my thumb wide open. But you know, a heart changed by God does not immediately communicate cuss words and swear words when that happens. And you know, when the unsaved sees that, they may not come to Christ, but quite literally, there's nothing they can say against that. Because that's the evidence of a life being transformed by grace, and that's very powerful as a means of witness to lost people. The evidence of a transformed life. They deliberate, they pontificate, and so they announce, you may not speak in the name of Christ. We forbid you. Now, just in the briefest way possible, look at number three with me, that preachers pray and still preach. And you'll begin at verse 24 with me, where you'll find in verse 24 where they essentially say, you are still the sovereign God. They are addressing God. They further say, you prophesied that the nations would rage against you. They speak to God and say, you are defied. And the kings of the earth stand against you. They say, all are gathered against your holy servant, Jesus. All are gathered against God's eternal plan. Now, Lord, and it's interesting what Peter says when he prays here. He says, Lord, uh, look on their threats and give them, that is, Peter and John, boldness. Grant to your servants that, all, that with all boldness they may speak your word. While threats and violence do intimidate. And let's be honest. Let's imagine that you are in a workplace. 
and uh, you, you've got a coworker who, who, who mocks you in the, what's the exact nature of the name of your union? Yeah, so I'm, they're not all Christians, are they? Uh, some of them don't act very good, do they? And so those guys are there to mock you, to intimidate you, to shut you up, to quit speaking about Jesus. And let's be honest, does that intimidate us at times? Yeah, it does. And here's what Peter prays, however, give your servants boldness. That when we are intimidated to ask God to say, God, help me not to be intimidated by this person's response, but help me to speak and announce the gospel of Christ clearly. And the prayer is ended, and you'll find again back in that early text that there are multitudes that come to Christ. And they were, even as described later in this text, they were of one heart and one mind and one soul. With great boldness, they have communicated the gospel of Christ. When I read Acts chapter 4, I see the transforming work of God upon some rather humble people so that, so that nothing swayed them from faith in Christ, nothing swayed them from announcing the gospel of Christ. Tim Capon was here visiting just a few weeks ago. You may remember when he came just to visit and encourage you folks. Tim has often said, basically churches are not growing as they ought because they are not speaking the gospel of Christ openly and clearly to their community. We've been intimidated. We've retreated into our shell. We've insulated ourselves from the world, and we've now focused upon making ourselves happy and comfortable. And what I want myself to understand and what I want you to understand is the priority in a culture that hates the church, that does not exist to encourage you in your walk with Christ, that you, that I, that we must persist in faith in Christ and boldly announce the gospel of Christ. How important that is. God's church, both the first and the 21st century church, is unswayed from faith and announcement of the gospel of Christ. You'll remember way back in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves, and what was the first thing to which they devoted themselves in Acts 2.42? They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. They devoted themselves to the gospel of Christ. They loved Christ. They would let nothing keep them from persisting in love and faith in Christ. And even when official authorities, the Sadducees, the leaders of the, of the temple, when they insisted, you may not speak in the name of Christ, they yet persisted in announcement of the gospel of Christ. They did not do it in an inappropriate way. They, they rather, with love for those hearers, constantly communicated the wonder and the glory that sinners may be saved only in and through the person of Jesus Christ. My need is to persist in faith and love for Christ. 
to let no one uh, uh, intimidate me from the bold announcement of the gospel of Christ. Uh, What is the key of success for the future of Northridge Baptist Church? It is persistence in faith in the gospel of Christ and bold announcement of the gospel of Christ, even in the pipe fitters union or every place where God has placed us. So, Father, we are thankful today to be able to gather here today that you might give encouragement, grace, and blessing. Thank you for the Savior. We want to honor him today, even in responding to your word. And I do pray that you would uh, give us that sense of, of holy boldness, of joy in you, and that we would... Uh, persistent faith in Christ and in loving announcement of the gospel of Christ and see people from this very community come to know Christ as Savior. Bless even in the continuing worship that we give to you to this day. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll continue in our worship service. We're going to